Welcome to a special episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can always find our free weekly Sunday gathering, inspirational service with medium demonstration included. You can find our classes and over 565 hours of my podcast episodes between my two shows. So why is this a special edition, you ask? Because I just learned of an online conference happening soon that I know you'll want to know about. Now, don't worry if you're listening or watching sometime in the future and this particular conference has passed. They are held yearly and I'll tell you how to gain access right now to many videos from past conferences. The first weekend in November is the online conference called Beyond the Brain with presentations such as cases of children claiming to have past life memories, spiritual lives of scientists, terminal lucidity in children and animals, and a lot more with pioneer researchers like Dean Radin, Michael Nam, Professor Jim Tucker, and Rupert Sheldrake. Our guest today is David Lorimer, who is the program director for the Scientific and Medical Network, who hosts the yearly conference. He has a lot of credentials under his belt, including being the author of over a dozen books, including Survival, Death as Transition, and Science Consciousness, and Ultimate Reality. You can find out more about him and the network, which has a lot of great videos, at scientificandmedical.net and the conference website, beyondthebrain.org. David, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Well, I'm very pleased to be here with you and uh, our listeners. It's a spur of the moment interview, and I love that because I know there are people all over this world doing fantastic things. And this is the first time I'd heard about Beyond the Brain. And anybody who believes in the afterlife, we know that our consciousness survives physical death. And I thought, this is my kind of conference. I signed up for the conference right away. I became a member on the scientificandmedical.net site. And I see you got tons of videos. So I just wanted to find out about you, find out about, about the conference and, and more. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about you, where you're living, first of all, um, and uh, yeah, maybe some of your history that got you into this fantastic conversation. Well, I'm speaking to you from the southwest of France, uh, and specifically the area that used to be the area of activity of the Cathars, who were a medieval um, Christian group. And some people would call them a sect, but they aren't. They 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 regarded themselves as the true Christians, uh, and they were exterminated during a hundred years of the Albigensian Crusade, or fifty years, probably more more accurately, because that was the the sort of intense part. Um, but I think the whole notion of gnosis, Gnosticism, and um, inner experience contemplation this is all coming back and interestingly there was a there was a, a prophecy in 1321 by belibast who was the last cathar to be burnt at the stake 
And he said that the laurel will turn green again after 700 years. And, and so we are now in that period of the laurel turning green in spite of the chaos um, around us. Uh, so my own, my own background um, is that I read languages and philosophy at St. Andrew's University, which is the oldest university in Scotland dating back to 1411. And uh, I became interested in my last year in Emmanuel Swedenborg. And the reason that that happened was that I was reading French literature, and there's a very famous poem by Charles Baudelaire called Correspondences. And so I looked up the notes in the back of this volume, and I read that this idea of correspondences originated in this Swedish scientist and philosopher and mystic called Swedenborg. And so I got a, a, a biography of him out of the library. And one evening I, I stayed in um, and started it, and I was absolutely riveted. Uh, so I I found that here was a man, his dates are 1688 to 1772, um, who really started as a natural scientist, an engineer. Um, he was a member of the Upper House of Parliament um, in Sweden. Uh, he, he wrote um, two volumes on the brain, uh, a quite extraordinary scope of, of um, intellect. And then in his mid-50s, he had a transformative experience, and suddenly he was able to see into the other worlds and have experiences of talking to spirits, talking to deceased people, finding out things that couldn't be found out um, by talking to these people. Uh, and yet, he wrote about these things in a very scientific, matter-of-fact way. And, and he wrote in Latin, um, which was still uh, understood by the scholars of the day, which meant that um, if you were French or you were a German scholar, you, you would still be able to understand Latin. It's a strange thought now for us. Uh, and then he, he, one of his books was called Heaven and Hell, um, and it's a description of his experiences. Um, it's quite a long book, but it's, it's quite riveting. And then another one which has been important for me in a spiritual sense was a book called Divine Love and Wisdom. And this was his spiritual philosophy, if you like. And when he was explaining the communion service, he would say that uh, love is represented by wine and bread by wisdom. Um, and so I love this idea that when you go to communion, you're actually receiving love and wisdom um, symbolically um, in, in, in the process. And so that, that, that set me off on a, a kind of reading path, um, as well as and one other uh, thing to mention is that my mother was um, a sensitive, um, and so she had some very interesting experiences. So I was already open um, to these possibilities by, try, by trying to make sense of what, what happened to her in this larger context of getting to know the literature. And so, as I say, Swedenborg was very important. Um, influence and and uh, a key year for me was when I I was in a merchant bank for two years, um, which is a strange thought now. It's nearly fifty years ago, and uh, I I was a round peg in a square hole, or um, and, and or the other way around, a square peg in a round hole. I didn't fit, uh, and uh, so I I resigned uh, when. I was able to go back and get a job in the autumn of 1976, um, showing people around champagne cellars. In fact, wine is another of my great interests, um, which, which is a, a different story. 
Uh, and that that enabled me to spend quite a lot of time reading. And so in that year, 76, 77, um, I, I read four boxes of books. And, and those so and all of those books that I read really formed the basis of, of why I'm here speaking to you now. And then in the following year, I went to Cambridge to do the education course, and I carried on reading, and I've really been reading ever since. And so that's a bit of background. Then you asked about the Beyond the Brain conference. Well, uh, the Scientific and Medical Network, which sponsors the Beyond the Brain conference, was founded in 1973. And so we're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary, our Golden Jubilee, um, this year. And the reason it was founded was that some senior scientists and doctors and educationalists who themselves have had mystical experiences and were interested in, in the psychic and as well as the spiritual, and they felt that younger scientists and, and doctors, this is still true today, were being trained in a philosophy of scientific materialism and mechanism, that everything can be explained by matter, and that matter is primary rather than spirit and consciousness. And that leads to a rather restricted view of reality. Um, so the Beyond the Brain conferences, they came about through a conversation that I had in Chicago in 1994 uh, with Willis Harmon, uh, who was the president of the Institute of Neurotic Sciences, who was a, um, uh, an extraordinary man. Uh, and we, we, we were sitting around a dinner table and thinking about how we could collaborate. Uh, and so we came up with this idea that we could sponsor co-organize a conference called Beyond the Brain um, in uh, 1995 at St. John's College, Cambridge. And they would provide some absolute top draw speakers who included Willis himself uh, and Stan Groff and Charlie Tart. Um, and so these were big hitters, as it were, uh, who came to our conference in Cambridge. Um, and that, that then uh, led to the next two, which we also had in Cambridge, um, and then we migrated to Ripon um, to have a, a very interesting one on meditation. And since then, we we were alternating every other year. Um, but since 2017, uh, we've had an online Beyond the Brain. Well, the last physical one was 2019, um, but online Beyond the Brain every November. And the reason it's called Beyond the Brain is a tribute to Stanislav Grof, uh, one of whose books is called Beyond the Brain. So I'll stop there. Um, that's given you quite a bit of background, I think. Oh, I think it's wonderful. I really do. Would you tell us about some of the speakers that you have? I mentioned a few, but just what kind of people you attract and you're passionate about having share at the conference or conferences? Well, what we say to people is that it's the premier conference addressing consciousness beyond the brain. And, and so there are plenty of conferences on consciousness. In fact, I looked at a site, there's several every week in, in different parts of the world. Uh, but there's nothing that, that is comparable to our conference, you know, which focuses more particularly on evidence that consciousness is beyond the brain. And, and so we, um, we, did, we used to have themes and then um, we've gone back to this more generic idea um, called the further reaches of consciousness research. Uh, another way of putting it would be exploring inner space. Um, there's been plenty of exploration of outer space, but inner space has been 
less explored, at least in our culture, not obviously in the in Hindu and Buddhist and other cultures. Um, and so uh, what we're looking for really is a, a combination, because we have another flagship conference called Mystics and Scientists, and we come, come back to that. Um, but what we're looking for is people who are actively researching in the area um, and or our clinicians. Um, no, so, for instance, Dorothea Foucault, who's also speaking on life between lives, and she's speaking from she's medically qualified, but she's speaking from a clinician's um, perspective, um, experiential perspective, and and uh, there's a lot of we have we have quite a number of honorary members, uh, including you know, Rupert Sheldrake and Ian McGilchrist, who will be having a dialogue at the conference. Um, and many of those are are leading lights in consciousness studies. And I think it's interesting just to reflect back. Our emeritus president is Dr. Peter Fennick, and he was trained in medicine in the 1950s. So he's 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 in his late 80s now, and you couldn't mention the word consciousness, um, nor could you talk about spiritual experiences without being thought, uh, well, you're interested in pathology. And so these experiences simply pathologized, um, and they were thought to be non-ordinary and, and pathological. These, this, this has changed a great deal in the last 50 years. And one important person in this respect was the professor of zoology at Oxford called Sir Alistair Hardy. And when he retired in, in 1969 um, from the chair of zoology, he was a fellow of the Royal Society, and he gave the famous Gifford Lectures in Scottish universities. Uh, he set up the Religious Experience Research Unit. And he put a little notice in various newspapers. They wrote a short article saying, if you've had an experience of a presence that seemed to be beyond what you normally know about, then write into us with your account. Uh, and he had several hundred accounts just straight away um, of people. And they've got now six to 7,000 of these accounts on a large database, and they're all classified in various ways. <clears throat> so they've got a great range of experiences. And Rupert Sheldrake has done something similar for animal telepathy, and he's got about 5,000 cases um, of animal telepathy um, they're written in by, by people, um, which is a pretty impressive database. And then um, you, in the in the 90s, you, you had the, the creation of the, the Journal of Consciousness Studies. And I remember in 95, they were only a year old, um, that about to celebrate their 30 years. And, and they had a stall uh, where people could uh, subscribe to the Journal of Consciousness Studies. So that's provided a forum um, and even a terminology of consciousness studies. Neuretic sciences would be another way of putting it. Uh, that uh, enables people researching in this area um, you know, to submit peer-reviewed peer articles. And what's interesting, which I heard quite recently, is that the majority of articles now come from a non-materialist view, whereas at the beginning, the majority were materialist. Uh, and so I think there has been a shift, but not really in the mainstream. And, and, and this is the this is the difficulty because uh, if people are going to stay within their sort of university parameters, um, then they can't be seen to be too far out in their views, even if those views are evidence-based. 
I'm doing my very best to share. I know I've talked to people from the Institute of Noetic Sciences, IONS, quite a bit. There is so much in the world of science and medicine supporting this. And I think it's just a matter of time that there'll be that tipping point. So I love story, sharing stories like yourself and the network and beyond the brain and, and things, because the more people think about this isn't just, you know, and, and I'm not knocking psychics and mediums, I'm not, but there's a lot of people that think that whole world of spirituality is just something else. It's the world of make-believe, but there's so many credible people doing such credible things. And every single human being is going to go through a time, whether a loved one passes or they're contemplating their own existence and asking these questions. So it's nice to have stories and organizations that are doing just that. And I think it's just a matter of time before, like I said, there's going to be that tipping point that more people are talking about it, more people believe you can have these thought provoking conversations about what's happening and who's doing what. So I really want to you know, applaud you and your organization for sharing these stories, for creating the conferences. So for our listener or our viewer right now, beyondthebrain.org is where you can get your ticket. And I've already got mine and it's three days. The video replays are included. And for me, it was about nine, about $100 US money. So depending on where you live, that's how I, how I frame it. And I also was really excited because I went to your other website, scientificandmedical.net, and I found out that I could become a member at a very low price. And there's a whole network of people to connect with. But not only that is you guys have a ton of videos taken from past conferences. And David, my audience are the right kind of people. So I really want to invite anyone listening or viewing, depending on what time of the year it is, there's always going to be a conference coming up, but beyondthebrain.org and become a member of scientificandmedical.net because like I said, there's so many resources there. David, can you talk about that other conference you said, Mystics and Scientists, I believe? Yes. Uh, before I do that, I'll, I'll come around to that in a moment. I just wanted to mention our Galileo Commission, um, because this is another initiative, um, which is really our Science of Consciousness initiative. And you can find that at galileocommission.org. And you can sign up as a friend, um, or if you're academically qualified, you can send, sign up as a professional affiliate. And we've got about 500 professional affiliates uh, and about a thousand friends. Uh, and we have three talks every um, every month. In fact, the one that's just coming up with Professor Alexander Almeida, that's on the 24th of October, uh, is um, uh, is on death and and the afterlife. And so that that your listeners are very interested. And then we went then on the 27th and 28th, we've got a summit on synchronicity. Um, and again, and we've actually got some of the some of the great you know, scholars of synchronicity presenting. Um, um, and it's all for US viewers in terms that we don't start until four o'clock London time, and it goes on until 8.30. We have Professor Marjorie Willicott, who's the uh, Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences. She's the co-chair with me of the Galileo Commission. 
And and so this is this is another um, strand of activity. And why is it called the Galileo Commission? Um, because we are inviting scientists to look through the telescope. And um, uh, uh, and by that I mean look through the telescope at the evidence that there is for spiritual reality and for the fundamental nature of consciousness. But the skeptical movement is very very strong, um, and and uh, many of them use the invalid argument and um, that uh, these things can't happen, so they don't. Um, and you know you'd have to revise the whole of physics. Uh, if you were to accept anything like this, um, and this is not an argument to take seriously, but it is taken seriously. So that's that. So let's go to mystics and scientists. Uh, mystics and scientists um, goes back even further, um, or a lot further than the Beyond the Brain conferences. And the first one of those was in 1978. And the only person who's still alive, uh, who was a speaker at Mystics and Scientists One is Fritjof Capra. Uh, and he also spoke at Mystics and Scientists 40, and he's one of our honorary members. And so the idea there um, was uh, was derived from um, Fritjof's book originally, um, The Dial of Physics. Um, some of your readers may have read that. It came out in 1976. And so he got in touch with um, uh, the, sorry, he being Malcolm Lazarus of Rekin Trust, um, which was um, started up by Sir George Trevelyan, um, who was one of my mentors. And so they, they got in touch with with Fritschoff, and they, they had this idea that um, they they would explore this interface between mysticism and science. So let's get some mystics and some scientists who are interested in, in mysticism and spiritual experience uh, in the same for in the same place and um, let's see what happens uh, and so that that's how it started and i think one of our most significant conferences was uh, the 1992 one i arranged on light and i had um, father bede griffiths um, coming from india you know to talk about non-duality and uh, his experience and um, that was before non-duality became fashionable which it is now and so we we hold these conferences every year. Um, we're on number forty-five um, at the moment. Number forty-six is going to be next April, middle of April, and it will be on where spirituality meets science, um, love, forgiveness, and compassion. So that's that's the theme that we'll be putting together um, for next year. Again, that's online, and so it's it's accessible. <clears throat> and I haven't I haven't um, you know, put the full program together, but it's in preparation. So, if I'm a member of scientificandmedical.net, will I find out about it through that? You site? will. You will. You will receive a mailing. Exactly. Probably in you know, towards the end of the year, <clears throat> I think. And and uh, it's it's oddly enough, I found out about these conferences um, because they took place at, at King Alfred's College in Winchester. And I was teaching at Winchester, Winchester College, which is one of the great old schools uh, of England, founded in 1382. Um, and I, somebody put a leaflet through my door, and it said, Mystics and Scientists Conference. I thought, that sounds jolly interesting. So this is 1981. And it was literally five minutes walk, so why not? Uh, so that was my initiation into the conference. And within about, well, less than 10 years, I was running it extraordinary 
Incredible. David, I want to ask you about some of your personal beliefs, and maybe you have some stories about why you believe in the afterlife that our consciousness goes on. Are there some stories that you can share that really touch your heart, maybe loved ones or something that you've experienced? Yes. Um, I've, I've had a few, I've had a few experiences and I think the, the, the interesting thing is, um, what space do these take place in? Um, so with my father, for instance, um, I, I've had, I've had, I've had three experiences, uh, since he passed in 1991. Um, he and I were not that close, um, because he didn't think much of spiritual beliefs and spirituality. It wasn't his thing. He was more sort of interested in economics and business. Um, and, uh, so one of them, I saw him up in the, I saw him in black tie up at the top of a, a, um, an opera house. Um, then in another one, um, I was walking with him along a, along a road, which is quite close to where you know where our family home is in Fife in Scotland, um, and um, they, well, I was just I felt I was in his space somehow. And then the third one was very touching because um, he appeared in a dream about three or four years ago and gave me a hug, um, and that was so affirming. <clears throat> um, because we 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 had our differences, and I've had um, some similar experiences uh, with my mother. Um, uh, one of which um, uh, which uh, springs to mind was when I, I so I find myself um, ringing the bell at her house in St Andrews, and when she comes out, she looks in her thirties. And that's an interesting thing, um, because um, I think it's pretty common in the literature that when um, when people appear to their loved ones, they appear in um, in, in, a, in a younger version of themselves, as it were, um, which is which is good because the ancient version that um, passed away um, is 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 not what how you want to remember people. That's right. So much has been said through so many different means that we get to pick our best age. We're in great health. We're alive. We're well. And they're so comforting, those kind of words and those kind of experiences. Because some of us, our last memories of our loved ones were not that. So to know that they're living on and they're thriving. And you mentioned dreams. Just recently, I introduced and uh, talked to Dr. Garrett Yant from the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And he was talking about research that they had done with lucid dreaming and how it helped people with PTSD. And I don't know too much about the, wor the world of lucid dreaming, but it was something like 79% of the people who had really suffered PTSD were able to heal uh, doing this research on in experiencing lucid dreaming. So for me, I, I, that's, kind of like the bone as a dog that I'm hanging on to right now to investigate. But the other night I had gone to sleep with the intention of just trying to have a lucid dream and connect with my dad. And of course I woke up early in the morning and then nothing happened. Right. So um, I said, well, let me go back to sleep and just see what happens. And I just had that intention. If I 
looked at my hand and I could recognize my hand, you know, then I would that'd be my little signal that I was just in a, in a, one of these dreams. So no kidding, David, I looked at my hand and my thumb was on the other side, right? And so I was able to catch myself in the dream. Now that happened several nights ago. I haven't been able to reproduce it, but it's gotten me want, really wanting to learn about more about the dream state. But what ended up happening was, is I created a beautiful place. Once I recognized it was a dream, created a couple of chairs and invited in my dad. And like you spoke about your dad and your mom, not only could I see my dad, but he was as real as anything I'm looking at right now. I remember my dad. I can remember him in pictures, you know, and I can't really remember his voice just a little bit. And in that dream, he was talking to me. I heard his voice again. It was clearer than any memory that I have or anything that I'm looking at right now. I could see exactly what he was wearing from head to toe. And I got the biggest hug from him and he let me know how proud he was of me. So I woke up thinking, I want to explore more. People want to be able to know that their loved ones are around. And there's different ways people can can do that. But for me, like I said, I feel like a dog with a new bone to see what's possible. Because when we have one of those transforming experiences, it can change our life. It can give us our life back because very often people die inside when one of their loved ones passes. And so was it my imagination that created that? Was it really my dad? I believe it was my dad, but even if it wasn't, you know, it's healing and it's helping. So anyways, thank you for sharing about the dream. And I, I think there's so much more possible than we know. Yes. Um, the, what it puts me in mind of is two things. One is that Raymond Moody, um, who I know, has done some work on psychomantium, psychomantium, with a kind of induced after-death communication. And so there is a protocol um, for this. And I've been involved for a few years now in a project on after-death communication um, with Eveline Elsesser, E-L-S-A-E-S-S-E-R. So if you look her up, then you'll find the information on her website. Um, and so we've we've got um, a thousand cases in in French, German, and English um, with two million words of um, analysis with 186 questions. And so this is a very, very thorough piece of work. And we're now doing, the, one of the latest surveys we're, we're doing is in um, China. And so we're actually looking for um, some contacts in China because it's really interesting to see what the after-death communication landscape is, if you like, in different cultures. Uh, we just don't know. And so it'll be very interesting to find that out. And then the other thing that um, was uh, put in mind, I think I've got this book under the under actually under this uh, computer here uh, called Beyond Matter by Oliver Oliver Lazar L A Z A R, um, and he's a he's a scientist um, who started having experiences he couldn't explain uh, in connection with the daughter of um, a neighbor who died. And 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 then he he's he's set up some experiments um, to see whether um, some you no know, contact can be made through mediums with 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 loved ones, 
And then the extent to which this brings comfort to to people, that's what he's really interested in. And and the vast majority, even atheists um, who've engaged in this, uh, found the results convincing and, and comforting. And I think you know one of the themes that comes out very strongly in after death communications is that the 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 the, de- the departed person uh, just wants you to know that they're okay. I'm fine. I'm okay. Don't worry. And that's a very important message, I think. It is. It absolutely is. You know, looking at the afterlife from just our human brain, it's it's hard to think about. Can it be? You know, somehow we we buy into the story that we're just our skin and bones. And meanwhile, on our tiniest level, we're just vibrating energy within atoms. And we're living in this world, in this universe that's ever expanding, that we can't get our heads around. So once we start hearing some of these stories and realizing there's more to us than meets the eye, then I think there's that opening for believing that this is real, believing that our loved ones have gone on. And then the help through your conferences and your network and things to know that there's really reputable people (laughs) that have given their life to exploring this, sharing it. You know, so I, I think I really do thank you for being someone who's investigating yourself and then sharing those people that are. Well, I think it's 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 important work, uh, and it is it is cumulative. And one of the books that we published last year, which I which edited with, uh, well, I edited it with Marjorie Woolacott, who was the prim- principal editor, um, was called "Spiritual Awakenings," and and this 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 is the account of fifty seven academics and scientists about their spiritual awakening, either process or experience, or both. And they're all they're all very short, so they're all twelve hundred words, and and there are a lot of them. And the whole point behind this initiative, and we'll be doing another one on synchronicity next year, uh, is to encourage other scientists and academics to come out of the closet, um, because I think we've got a closet problem here. Um, people are very prepared to talk about what's happened to them around a private dinner table, but God's God, for goodness sake, don't don't let my colleagues know uh, that I've had these kind of experiences. They might think I was mad, and this is just a nonsense. And and so, and I, I'm I'm reminded of a story Ken Ring told me. Ken Ken Ring is one of the sort of doyens of the near death experience, and um, and and he's still writing, and you know he's he's 88 now, uh, but he's he said that he he was invited to a book club. Um, no, to talk about NDEs, so in the early days, I think there were nine women in the book club, and he was chatting to each of them uh, before, and they all said to him, "You know, I've had some interesting experiences, but I wouldn't tell these people. You know, they're their friends, for goodness' sake." And so, I, I think if if we can uh, change the ethos and the culture around um, these experiences, then a lot more people will actually come out. And if you look at the research done by what's now called the Alistair Hardy Center, um, I referred previously to the Religious Experience Research Unit, and then the incidence of spiritual experiences of some kind 
is actually two thirds of the population. And but you wouldn't get that impression from the largely materialistic media, um, who take every opportunity to uh, find a materialistic explanation for near-death experiences. It, it's a periodic sport, you know. It happens nearly every year, and and uh, luckily we have people like Pim Van Lommel and Bruce Grayson, um, who were able to write informed letters saying where these studies have gone wrong. Uh, so that's that's a good thing. Just a couple of days ago, and in fact, on the last episode, I interviewed the director and producer from a new film coming out called After Death, and it's about the world of near-death experiences. They will be in almost 2,000 theaters across Canada and the United States coming the end of October, beginning of November, when your conferences. And then in about a month's time, they'll have it global for digital distribution worldwide. But just talking about, in my research, about, like you said, about two-thirds of people do believe in the afterlife. But, because I was one of these people, I was petrified that people would think I was crazy for doing that. So I think there's a lot of people walking around this earth that privately believe that are too afraid to open their mouth because of what people might think we could lose family and friends and things. So I was telling these gentlemen with the film, it gives people an opportunity to get a conversation going. And I think sometimes it just takes, Hey, you know, what do you think about this new film or conference? It's about the afterlife. And that might be the thing that people say, Oh, you believe in that? Oh, I believe in that too. And this is my experience. And I know that people who research this and are engaged in this conversation, we're cool people, I think, because it's more about who are we, what is our life for, than spending our days complaining about what we don't have and being a victim and all that. We're up to something. So you can meet some really like-minded friends. I wanted to ask you before we go our separate ways, you've got many books out. And I mentioned a couple of titles. Is there anyone that maybe one of our listeners or viewers would be interested in that contain things about the afterlife? Well, yes. Um, and uh, the, yes, that would just, it was a very interesting point you made. Um, because I just wanted to come back to this, this point that um, my belief, if I can put it that way, uh, is evidence based, and um, and that's the whole point. And um, the idea, the idea that faith is um, believing in what is impossible and can't possibly exist—that's complete nonsense. And um, what's more important still, I think, and, and this is what's happening to a lot of people now, is that even in the early Christian church, they said that Clement of Alexandria, for instance, they said that faith um, and gnosis are are a continuum and so when you achieve when you have this experience of knowing that you are the universal divine consciousness and that we all are um, then um, you actually receive a direct experience of what you take on trust in faith and and so i th i think that our whole culture or part of it is moving towards this this direct experience um, and you don't need an, uh, any other kind of proof once you've had this direct experience. So coming back to um, your question about my books, um, the two, my two initial books, which I wrote nearly 40 years ago, sort of 35, 40 years ago, um, were Survival. Um, and I published that when I was 32 in 1984. 
Um, and then I published Hole in One, which is now called Resonant Mind. And Hole in One is about the um, near-death experience or the life review, and therefore the ethic, what I call the ethic of interconnectedness, uh, which is fundamentally about the golden rule. Um, and so those are two books specifically on um, on these topics. I have some essays on these topics in my book of essays called A Quest for Wisdom, um, which came out in, in 2021. And that's 25 essays. Some of them are also on ethics and society, and some of them on worldviews, uh, on consciousness. Um, so there, there's a wide range of um, texts there. And then another set of books that I I've written, uh, I've been on the Bulgarian sage, uh, Peter Dunov, D-E-U-N-O-V. And so one of his books, uh, one of my books there was, the latest one has a forward by Wayne Dyer, um, is called Profit for Our Times. And if you want a kind of basis for a possible new culture of love rather than power, which is what we have at the moment, um, then Peter Dunos' five principles are absolutely central, and these are love, wisdom, truth, justice, and goodness. Um, and I wear a pentagram which stands for these these five principles. And he also translated this into into a movement, um, sacred dance called panurythmy. And you can look that up online, and you can see the panurythmy being danced in. Uh, the Rila Mountains in Bulgaria, um, which is an extraordinary experience um, to have. Uh, and then more recently, I've published a volume of poetry, um, and that's called Better Light, Better Light a Candle, and, and Better Light a Candle Than Curse the Darkness. And, and I've got a number of other edited books, The Thinking Beyond the Brain, uh, The Spirit of Science, which I'm just about to re-edit, A New Renaissance, um, which has just come out in a new edition as well. Um, and in addition to that, I'm I'm being the editor of um, Paradigm Explorer, which is the journal of the Scientific and Medical Network um, since 1986. <clears throat> and I'm we're on issue 142. Um, so I've done 110 issues. And uh, that comes out three times a year for members. And uh, one of the its great features, I think, is the extensive book reviews, uh, many by myself. And so I'm 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 always uh, hoovering up uh, more information and uh, curating that for people and being able to pass it on. So that's a little bit about um, some of my books. You're a busy man. Yeah. Yes. Well, this week I'm I'm on on a Mary Magdalene retreat, um, which is something that we do every every year because uh, there's a lot of interest in Mary Magdalene in this part of France. And tomorrow evening, um, this is going to apply to people who listen to this several months um, on, but we happen to have a, a, a Anine van der Meer talking about her new book on Mary Magdalene. And so this is a whole other area which I think is very important, which is the sacred feminine, the divine feminine, the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, we were listening to Anne Baring this morning um, talking precisely about this and how important it is for the feminine principle to come forward and balance the masculine. We, we've got an over-masculinized, over, my, as my friend Ian McGilchrist said, over-left hemisphere culture. And we need to balance this with imagination, with intuition, with beauty. And uh, otherwise, our, our civilization is, is uh, on the way out. 
know, we need a spiritual renaissance in order for us to uh, go into the next cycle. Incredible. David, if you had one last thing that you wanted to look at our viewer or talk to our listener about who they are, maybe what comes to mind? Well, I there's, there's, there's a quote from um, which is attributed to um, Teilhard de Chardin. Um, and incidentally, my, 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 my podcast is called Imaginal Inspirations. Um, that's, a, that's another one um, which you can look up. Um, the what I the Teilhard de Chardin is, is, this is attributed to him is that we are a spiritual being having a human experience, um, rather than the human being having a spiritual experience, uh, and so that gives you the the network upholds the spiritual essence of the human being as compatible with science, uh, which it is. And and so we think that the emphasis on the spiritual es essence um, is terribly important in our time of advancing transhumanism and technocracy, where we're told we're just machines, we need an upgrade, uh, we need to be merged with machines, and there's no spiritual component to the human being. <clears throat> so we really have to defend the sacred, um, as, as they say. And then if you say, if you ask what's the meaning of life, <laughs> meaning of purpose of life, then my answer to that is to grow in love and wisdom and to be true to yourself and to express the truth. Perfect words. David, thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, it's such a pleasure uh, to speak to you, Sandra, and uh, to make the acquaintance of, of your listeners. Oh, well, I'm, I'm very, very happy right now. I'm sure our listener and viewer is right now too. And for you who's listening or watching us on uh, YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast channel, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I want to remind you of some websites. Check out beyondthebrain.org. That's the weekend online conference uh, that I'm attending. You'll love it. You'll get the video replays if you can't join live. So it's beyondthebrain.org. You may want to become a member like I did of scientificandmedical.net. You get so much and there's access to so many things and you can check out who David is and some of his books as well. And also, as David mentioned, the GalileoCommission.org. I'm interested in that as well. Our home base is wedontdie.com where of course you can find tons of episodes all about the afterlife. If you want to join my Patreon club, you'll get commercial free episodes. Also, you get a list of absolutely every episode with a searchable and clickable links. So you can look for the things that interest you the most. You can also join our free Sunday gathering with medium demonstration, take a medium class if you like, and there's so much more. The bottom of the page at wedontdie.com, it says enter your email address and name. You get a few chapters of my book, We Don't Die. Here's the secret. It's the entire book. I want you to know some of the things I know about the afterlife. But more importantly, there's chapter 10, which is how to survive grief, because grief is something that, yes, it does have us looking for answers, but it is the most painful thing I think we humans deal with. So there's some really good words of advice in there. So that's all at we don't die. 
www.sandrachamplain.com. And in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is very important. So follow your passions, really be true to yourself, grow in love and wisdom, like David said. So thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you again soon. Oh,